This up is Zion. We are behind. We pick up at the very bottom of Vav Um So today we'll more be 6B to 7A. We are going to do two on Shabbos, before and after Mincha. Um, so the Gemara picks up with the following. Vama Rabbi Yitzchak, five lines from the bottom, because we've had a couple of other statements of Rabbi Yitzchak. My dechsiv, what's meant by the verse, Yuchan Rashab Alamatzedek, um, the, um, will be, um, like when it's good to the wicked person, he does not learn righteousness. Army Yitzchak, the snake, Kaddish Baruch, master of the universe. Yuchan Esav, let Esav, like, uh, you know, let it be good for Esav, he's my son too. So, um, Amalo, so God said to him, Roshahu, he's wicked. Amrlo, so Yitzhak said back to him, Ba'alaman said that, no, he doesn't have an opportunity to learn righteousness. Of course, it's funny, because Yitzhak's father, well, you know, but okay. They had this conversation <laughs> by Yitzhak, not by Yishmael. Well, okay, well, because well, we're dealing with Yaakov and Esau, that's the point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so Yitzhak is saying, you know, God, he didn't have a good enough chance, he didn't have an opportunity, he's not... It's not totally his fault. He's not, yeah, exactly, you know, it's, he's not an essence evil. So Amrlo, so God said to him, in the land of like of 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 of, 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 of righteousness or whatever the proper land he will deal treacherously meaning he's going to uh, attack B'nai Israel and he's going to destroy the base of Mikdash he'll have dominance over the land of Israel so God said to him so uh, so I'm sorry so said back to God oh he's gay but you're a gay with Hashem oh well and that's the case then not seeing the greatness of God. Oh, well, if he would have said so, if he's going to do that wicked to my son, to, to, to I mean, to my other son, to Yaakov, then he deserves what's coming to him. Well, so here, the sort of the subtextual message, or not even sub, sub, subtextual is, you know, there's other Gemaras, like in the beginning of Avodah Zarah, which has conflictual, conflicting approaches to how to look at the Roman Empire. You know, they do all this bad stuff, but at the same time, they build the bridges and the bathhouses and the roads and all of this. So here it's like, you know, you can always somehow try to um, rationalize or explain why bad people deal, you know, deal evilly. It was their upbringing, it was other influences, and so on. But at a certain point, who cares? You know, the wicked that they're doing, you know, you know, the evil that they're doing, you know, you, none of that stuff matters. So that's sort of the uh, message here is about sort of not, you know, sort of like, a, like a pushing back on a more sympathetic approach towards you know, towards Rome. But what was his punishment um, exactly? You were uh, saying that... Uh, eventually, uh, there'll be the downfall, like everything we've been discussing. Now, Rabbi Yitzhak, Rabbi Yitzhak said, my see what's meant by the verse, Altitain Hashem Ave Rasha, Zamamo al God, do not give the uh, desires of the wicked person. Do not remove the bit in his mouth. Yaromu Sela will be lifted up forever. So now Yaakov, before that was Yitzchak, asking for a little uh, compassion for his son Esav. Now we're dealing with Yaakov, who obviously his computer is Esav. Uh, the competition is Esav. So God said to God, God said, Yaakov said to God, master of the universe, as opposed to Yitzchak, who was asking for some sympathy, Yaakov was saying, God, do not give Esav what he desires. Um, um, so do not remove the bit in his mouth so what is it that Esav desires what will happen if you remove the bit in his mouth Zu Germamia this is Germamia Shel Edom of Rome that if they were given uh, the ability to go out, if the bit, the, the, the restraint was removed, they would destroy the whole world. So ultimately, within Esau, is a desire to destroy the entire world. So of course, it's hard to get, know exactly what's being referred to here by Germania. It's interesting because it's obviously very close to Germania, Germany, and given, of course, right. the events of the Holocaust, you know, there are definitely those that would like to sort of see this as saying something about that. But anyway, it's, it is fascinating to speculate what the Gemara is thinking about in terms of this Germamia. But ultimately saying that Esav, even with all the wicked that they've done, you know, that's not even their ultimate potential to do evil. If they were really given free reign, they would destroy the entire world. The Amarebi Chamer Barchanina, Plasmia Katiri Taga Igabir Germamia. There are 300 Shel Adam. Um, so, well, hold on one minute, what is this? Um, right, let me just check Rashi here, do, 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 one minute. What is it? Hold on, Katiri Taga. Um, all right, there, um, right, um, right, so there are 300 that are basically, um, how does it translate? I forgot, Katiri Taga. 
people have that? Crown princes. Crown princes, thank you. Okay, fine. Right, because the katag, right, because katag is the crown. Okay, fine. Like, 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 like nodding the crown or binding the crown. Okay. So there are, thank you. So there are 300 crown princes in Germania, Sheladom. The so in this Germania, which is this, you know, country that Rome has presumably conquered, there are all of these, you know, uh, uh, princes, all of these uh, people from the, uh, you know, that are potential leaders, and there are 365, slightly larger number, of uh, officers, you know, similarly in uh, Rome, of uh, also people of, uh, you know, of, of like uh, potential leaders. And every day they go out to battle one against the other. The groups of, I guess, princes from Germania and the groups of uh, potential, um, like, uh, you know, uh, um, um, officers um, or people of high rank in Rome. Um, and they kill one of them and because of that they're too just you know they're unable to appoint the king so basically it means that there's uh, this place of Girmania has a lot of uh, you know strength in it a lot of potential people that are potentially could become the leaders could maybe rebel you know Roma at a certain period dealt with a lot of issues about you know the generals trying to seize the uh, you know the crown or you know become the Caesar and so on so here there's the sense of that 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 uh, these pe- that the uh, that there's um, that this place of Germania is breeding potential uh, leaders, and it's only because they're constantly in battle with the current um, government, with the current uh, rulership in uh, Rome, that they're being held in place. But otherwise, they would take over, and it would be and it would be terrible. Uh, yes, is, is the word for bit? Zamam, yeah. is that related to like Adim Zamam, like Adim yeah. come and put a bit in the mouth of the previous oh. Adim or something? I don't know. I mean, Zam- Zamam means to plan. So in a way, uh, you know, Tavat Libo, Zimamo could have meant similar to the desire. Yeah. But I do. Th- but in this context, some translated as and it fits with the Gemara, Gemara, like the bit in the mouth, right. the thing that's holding it back. Okay, so there's this Germania that has, uh, that there's a lot of uh, people there that if they would actually be victorious over uh, their Roman overseers, they would uh, create terrible destruction. Um, but I'm Rabbi if a person says to you, Yagati below Matsati, famous Gemara, I have toiled and I have not found it, I've looked for something and I haven't found it, or I've worked and I haven't achieved what I've been trying to achieve, I'll tell me, do not believe him, it means he hasn't worked hard enough. Or hasn't looked hard enough. Lo yagati umatsati. You know, it all fell into place. I didn't have to do any work. I just did all, it all, you know, I found what I did without working for it. So, al tamen, do not believe. Yagati umatsati tamen. If he says, I worked for it, and then I was able to find what I was looking for, I was able to achieve what I was looking to achieve, that you can believe. So, Mars says, but that's only when it comes to learning. This is quite fascinating. Like if you know, if you say you haven't gotten where you need to get in learning, it's because you haven't tried hard enough. And if you think you got to a certain level without trying, it's not really true. Obviously, that's not you know you, you know you either tried and you, you're not admitting it, or you haven't really gotten to the level you need to get to. When it comes to making money, shamaya. That people can work very, very hard and not be successful. And other type of people can maybe not work so hard and be very lucky and invest in some stock and by total luck or whatever, they make a lot of money. They buy the right lottery tickets. So it's quite fascinating. When it comes to money, that's the Atanishamayo. When it comes to Torah, that's really all about the effort that you put in. Is that opposite so, the well, the opposite you would think, but there's something I think very powerful here about the idea, you know, about how much Torah, it's like the whole Torah Shabbat idea, you know, it's not like God just gives us knowledge in Torah, it's not a, like, it's not a, you know, it's not something like prophecy, where we get, you know, we just get it from God, you know, we, the Torah is a function of really of our efforts, is what Torah is about. Amen of the Torah. Exactly. So the Gemara says, and now the Gemara even qualifies it, even when it comes to Torah, what we're talking about is when it comes to, like, analysis have a sharp analysis that you only get if you put in the right amount of effort. Um, to establish the teaching which, could, which Rashi says means to remember what you've learned that's that you need a little divine assistance. Some people have a good memory, some people have a less of a good memory. It's interesting that Rashi says it has to do with memory because you could have said like the Gemara sometimes has a phrase of you know 
which doesn't just which doesn't mean to remember, but it means to come to the right conclusion. And there, you know, there is this idea, you know, that uh, you know, like uh, you know, you know, they tell a story out of like you know, Reb Chaim Salavechik, you know, the founder of the whole Brisker Derach, that when you know, who obviously what he introduced was this very methodological way of doing you know systematic and uh, sharp, precise analysis of the Gemara. That when somebody would come to ask him a halacha shaila, he'd send them to Rabbi Yitzchak Elchanan. Why are you sending him to him? He says, because I know that when he paskins halacha, he has like, you know, to come to the right halacha. Sometimes analysis doesn't get you to the right halacha. <laughs> so it is interesting that Rashi says, you know, you could be, it could be very interesting academically and in the university, and it's not the, it's bottom line, it's not the, it's not the right halacha conclusion that you have to arrive at. So that's a different way of reading this. It's not exactly, uh, that's not the way Rashi is reading it. Which Rashi say? He says, right Ruben Girsa, Shalot second line from the top. Oh. Ah, there, I'm sorry, I was looking right at it. Okay. okay. All right. Then a Rebbe Yitzchak, a whole line of statements in the name of Rebbe Yitzchak. In Ma'isa Rosh Hashem Lo, if you see a wicked person that is having a fortune, you know, a successful time, like everything is going well for him, Al Titzka do not try to compete with him. Okay, which might mean to take him on. Let's say now it means to take him on. Don't try to take him on. If things are going well for him, keep your distance. So now, Mars, the verse says, Do not compete with the wicked, those who do evil. Not only should you keep your distance, I know, but not only, it seems like it's the same point, but he's right now going to be very successful. Even though he's wicked. Don't say, oh, he's wicked. In the end, I'm more righteous. No, you know, whatever. Learn to read the signs. For whatever reason, right now things are going well for him. Keep away. His paths will be successful at all times. The low ode, and not only, it's different from a different parakin to Yilin, but it's fixing it together. The low ode, not only that, he'll be victorious if you actually try to press the matter and come, you know, for a case of judgment. You're saying, judgment? I'm the righteous person. I should win. You know what? The world doesn't always work out that well. It's pretty interesting to hold this side by side by the Yagati Umatsaki, yeah. which is like a very nice view of the world, you know? Success is a function of it's sort of the opposite of Kohelet, right? Kilola Kalim you know, what is it, Hamerut, like Lola Giborim Ha right? So it's very nice to think that the world works, that the effort you put in and the ability that you have determines your success. So first, that's sort of what Rabbi Yitzchak said by Yagati Umatsati, but then he qualified it, Torah versus business and so on. And here, he's also been saying, you know what? It's certainly true in terms of like the righteous and the wicked don't think the world works out the way it should. Give him his distance. Okay? His judgment is lifted up like opposite you. The low ode, Elisharoah Bistone Av, he will see in the downfall of his enemies. All of his uh, oppressors, he will blow at them. You know, blow them down. So Amar says, Amy, is that really true? Um, which is obviously a different mandamar, but nevertheless. You're allowed to uh, compete against the wicked. Those who abandon the Torah will praise the wicked. The Shomrei Torah Yitzkarubam. But those that observe the Torah will compete against them. The Tanya, and we turn the Rishayim. But then the one that had to run away from the Rishayim and was uh, hidden uh, in the cave. That's a good point. That's a very good point. The Tanya, we turn the Brisa. Well, we'll see what it means. The Doskai Bar Maton Amar Muter Yitzkar Rishayim. It's permissible to uh, you know compete or to take on the wicked. Bola Mazet. If a person whispers to you to say, the other verse we said before, do not compete against the wicked. Do not be jealous of those who do uh, perverseness. It's the person who is uncertain, whose heart like pounds in him, is uncertain of his own righteousness. That's saying, you've got to keep your distance because they're not fully righteous. Ella... Uh, so, okay, so you're allowed to take them on. So what do these verses, though, mean, that not to take them on? Ella, here's what these verses mean. Don't compete against them to try to be like them. Don't be jealous of them. Don't be envious of them. And you're going to try to compete, you know, you're going to try, oh, well, they're, you know, they're making so much money and they're cheating in business, I'm going to cheat in business, I'm going to make money too. No, it means don't follow their path. That's what it means. It doesn't mean don't take them on. 
Okay, liyot kimreim. Um, the Altikaner, where was it? Yogamim, the Altikaner, the Oseavla, Don't try to be in competition with them, and you know, in their game. The Amar, but you can take them on. The Amar, Do not let your heart be jealous, you know, about the, for the you know, about, about the success of the sinners. Okay, the low, so so um, so the Gemara says ah. So you see here, you're allowed to take them on. All it means is don't try to don't try to outdo them. To outdo them, thank you. But you're allowed to actually you know take them on. So how do you how does that fit with the earlier statement that you're not? So the Gemara says lokasha. Habimilidideh It depends. What are you taking them on? Are you trying to take them on in their area? It doesn't mean to outdo them, but let's say it means like you know you've got a, you've got a, an issue with them in terms of a of a contract, and you want to take them to court, right? You want to compete with them in business. Don't compete with them in you know in their realm, you know in the secular realm. There, if things are going good for them, even if you're trying not to be jealous of them but to take them on, you got to give them a wide berth. But the when are you allowed to take them on when it's a matter of heaven? If they're going out there and they're, you know, doing stuff that's hurtful for religious purposes, then you don't say, well, he's being so successful in taking people away from religion, I'm going to step away. No, that's when you have to step up and that's when you have to defend the religion and defend God's honor and take them on. So that's one answer. The Ebay same, another answer is even in their realm, like the secular realm, the Lokasha, which is hinted to before about Libo Nokfo. A truly righteous person can take them on when to, even if they're being successful. Somebody who's not fully righteous better give them, you know, their distance. Okay? So it's interesting. Like, you know, again, this is an issue that sort of recognizes somewhat a little in contrast to the previous statement of Rivia or in a qualified way, the world doesn't always work out in the nice way we would like it to. And, you know, in terms of the righteous having things good and the wicked having things bad, or, you know, a little bit in contrast to the amount of effort and the amount of success, you gotta read the signs. Okay. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that necessarily you try to win in court. <clears throat> Meaning, if this person is you know is, is is successful because of their dishonesty, and you want to publicly critique them in the press because of their business practices, that would be mili dishmaya. If you want to take them to court and think they're going to win because of their their being dishonest, that's mili today. So okay, so most of like this. Um, okay, the Amarav Huna Maidhsi, what's meant by the verse Lama Tabit Pogdin Takarish Bibala Rashat Sadik Mimenu? Why do the um why would the you know the the rebels look on and be silent when um the, the wicked person, the evil person, swallows up the person righteous more righteous than he? So Tzadik Mimenu Boleya, somebody more righteous, relatively better, more righteous, that the Russia will be victorious over. Tadikamur, somebody who's objectively righteous, Enoboleya. He will not be able to be victorious over. The Ebay Seman, if you want, you could say, even for Tzadikamur, when things are going good for him, when he obviously has a successful, you know, steam, you know, uh, period right now, then everybody's got to give him a wide berth. So again, very interesting in terms of, uh, you know, recognizing how the world really works. Okay, Amar Ula. So now, one more statement. That was a, a whole line of statements about, uh, about Reb Yitzchak. Amongst that, that was somewhat of a digression of statements about Yaakov versus Esav and Edom versus, you know, Caesarea. You know, we would have sort of said, I'm mean, not Edom, Yerushalayim versus Caesarea. Sometimes they say it now it's Jerusalem versus Athens. Right, so for them it was Jerusalem versus Caesarea. You know, the whole sense of these comp- competitive, uh, you know, competing uh, world, uh, you know, uh, uh, world views, and also you know, nations and so on. Caesarea so was a pagan city. What? Yes. So Caesarea was a pagan city and a Roman outpost. So Amr Ula. So we're going to sort of end by a statement about this um, uh, or whatever connected. It says Ula Italia show Yavan, Italy of Greek. Um, of the of the Greek of the, the sort of the Hellenist um, Italy, um, So that was the big city um, of Rome. I don't exactly get like what's going on here because like yeah. Rome is a city in Italy, mm-hmm. but 
Anyway, somehow Rashi sort of says this might be going back to that, you know, what, that, that famous story about how Rome was founded, right? Remus and Romulus, mm-hmm. and Rashi sort of quotes a similar type of a, like some similar type of a, of, of a Jewish myth about this. If you look at Rashi, which is recently related to the Tanis, Okay, so somehow a, a, a rod was stuck in the sea, but because of the sin of the Jewish people, again, the idea of the Jewish people sin, so therefore Rome, Asa, becomes great. Anyway, so this was, let's assume that this basically just means Rome. I think when the Gemara said Romy, it wasn't thinking of the city of Rome. It was thinking about the Roman, you know, empire. Italia Shalyavan probably means the city of Rome, but whatever it is, this uh, foundational city of Rome, the Havia, um, and there was Plasmea Parsa, Plasmea Parsa. It was 300 parsings by 300 parsings. It was huge. The Yeshva Shin Samachay Shvakim, there are 365, obviously these are exaggerated numbers, classically 300 or 365 is just clearly just like saying there were a million, there were a million marketplaces, equal to the number of the days of the sun, of, of the solar year, the Kazin Shebekulam Kamochay Elfot, and even the smallest marketplace was the place where they sold birds, the Havya, and that, the smallest one, was Sheisha Sarmiel or Sheisha Sarmiel, was 16 kilometers by 16 kilometers. And just in one of them, a king would, you know, could, could, uh, could, could feast an entire day. Or every day, a king would feast just from one of them. Um, the Adarba, and anybody that lived in that city, even if he was not born in the city, would get some prize, you know, gifts from the king. Now, this is probably referring to the period when in the Roman Empire, you know, they actually provided people with uh, uh, bread and they, um, you know, there was a period where they actually had uh, governmental su- um, um, support, subsidies, subsidies, subsidies exactly. Um, and this is why, you know, so it's a, a, you know, so somebody who's living in the city, in the city of Rome and Roman citizens and so on. They had no lid bun, somebody born in it, no So again, I don't know about the historical accuracy about that, but right, that's an interesting question. You know, two ways about being a citizen. Living in a place, right, and being born from the place even if you're not living there. Um, about, uh, and there were 3,000 bathhouses. And 500 windows that would take the smoke outside of the walls, meaning the windows would be so high the smoke would go out, would go higher than the walls. Okay. Um, one side of it was the ocean. Another side was mountains and hills. One side was an iron wall. And another side was like, um, was like a, a swamp and uh, pebbles. So basically, it was completely protected. Okay, anyway, that was the end of those stories about Rome. As I said, I think some of what this is doing in the Gemara is because part of the thing about Nes Purim is that Nes Purim was not transformative the way other sort of Chagim were in terms of, uh, you know, the realities of Jewish history. And we're still dealing with the reality of it's not, you know, it's not... Uh, um, um, you know, it's not the Persians, but their successors here, the Romans. Okay, next mission. Koros and Megillah, um, the Adar Harishon, if you read the Megillah on the first Adar, means Abrahashana, and then it becomes a leap year. So there's a second Adar. You have to reread it on the second Adar. Meaning, obviously, if you knew ahead of time there were going to be two Adars, it seems like, then clearly you would just know you read it on Adar Shani. But when you read it on Adar Rishon, you read it because that was Adar. So maybe you get credit, maybe you get grandfathered in. No. You still have to read it again in Adar Shani. That's the real Adar. The reading of the Megillah and the Matanos of Yonim, which we've learned, goes with the reading of the Megillah. The question, obviously, is, well, what about Mishloach Manot? So, what, what, does that mean you have to do them on both? You're Yotze if you did it on the first one? Let's take a look at the Gemara. So, the Gemara says, Halin Seder Parshiyot, Zebazer Shavim. So it sounds like the first thing the Gemara goes to is now what we would say, Mishloch Manos, and I do want to say, by the way, because later today, God willing, we'll get up to it, the discussion about the Su'ud and Mishloch Manos, that is very under-discussed in the Tanaitic material. The Mishnayis discuss the Kriyas Megillah and the Matanos of Yonim, but they really do not discuss the Su'ud and Mishloch Manot. Um, so which is just worth noting. That gets discussed in the Gemara, really is under-discussed in the Mishnayot and the Tanaitic material. So it's interesting that when the Gemara is looking for another thing that has not yet been addressed, 
it goes to the reading of the parshiot, you know, Skalim and uh, Chodesh and Parah, etc. And it does not, and Zachar, and it does not go to the issue of so Mishra. Is so, uh, so it seems like it's saying that there you would either read it twice or you'd be Yotze if you read it in the first one. So let's take a look. You could do it in either. We'll see. So the Gemara says, so, so it sounds like that they're both equivalent in terms of the parshiot. So, Mani Masnizin, who is our mission going like? Not like any of the three to nine that we're going to see in the following Brighta. The time we talk about the Brighta. Karasim Gilead Adar Rishon, he read the Gilead on the first Adar, and he's Abrashan, and then it became a leap year, and there was a second Adar. So, Karasim Adar Rishon, you read in the second Adar, you have to read it again. Shikomitos Rishon, no Hegis Rishon. Chutzmi Mikram Gilead. Everything that applies in the second applies in the first, with the exception of Mikram Gilead, that's only the second. Again, a little bit vague. Does it mean you have to do the Sa'uda and the Parshiyas both in the first or the second? Maybe, presumably, we'll assume the meaning is that you would be Yotze if you right. did it in the first, uh-huh. and you therefore you don't have to do it in the second, except Megillah. That's the one thing you're not Yotze with. Only if you didn't know, right? Well, right. What happens if you knew ahead of time, then you might not even be Yotze. But, right, that's yeah. a little bit unclear. The Rishonim discussed that. But for now, we'll read it. You were Yotze what you did in the first, except for Mikra Megillah. Okay, Rebbe Leather Rebbe Yossi, that's the time I come. Rebbe Leather Rebbe Yossi Omer, in Kono Sabat Arashani. No, you don't have to read it in the second. Are there? Anything that applies in the second applies in the first. And here it's clear that means that you don't do it twice. Right? Because he's saying that you don't do it in the second one because it applied also in the first, which means you were Yotse when equally when you did it in the first. Okay? So he says you, you could be totally Yotse in the first. If you want to do it in the second, if you want to do it in the first, you could be totally Yotse in the first. That's what he says. Now, you got to read it in That anything that applies in the second doesn't apply at all in the first. All of the things only apply in the second. The shoving and everybody agrees. Um, that, um, I'm sorry, the has to do with um, But they, um, but they are the same in terms of not giving it paid and not giving tanis. But the they all agree that has been tanis. All these different tanaim are usher in both. The question is about the other mitzvot. But the idea that you observe the day and it's usher has been tanis that applies equally in both of them. Um, okay, Now the Gemara says, okay, we get Rebbe Lezer He says you don't read it again in the second. But Rebbe Shimon is saying the same as the Tanakama. You have to read it again in the second. What's the difference? Now the difference is that Rebbe Shimon said nothing applies in the Rishon. And therefore you have to read it again. The Tanakama says everything applies in the Rishon except Mikra Megillah. So the obvious difference between them is not Mikra Megillah, but what other things you could do in the Rishon to be Yotze. And that's what the Gemara says. So the Gemara says, Amara Papa, Seder Parshiyot so there's, no, the things other than Mikra Megillah would be the difference. Like reading the Parshiyot. If you read all the Parshiyot in other Rishon, like and Zachar, and, and, Zachar like and whatever, mm-hmm. then they made another Shein. The Tanakama Savar, the Tanakama holds the Chatzchila B'Sheni. You really should be doing all this stuff in the Sheni. Nobody disagrees with that. Yeah. But the other Rishon of it. But everything that applies in the second, you also could be Yotze in the first, but the other. The one exception is reading the Megillah. That has to be reread. Rebbe says everything applies equally in the Rishon. You could even read the Megillah. Even the Parshios. If you read it in the first, you have to reread it in the second. You don't say nothing in the Rishon. So basically, you have two extremes. You have Rebbe Lezer Rebbe that says everything you could be Yotzei in the Rishon. You have Rebbe Shimon Gamliel that says nothing you can be Yotzei in the Rishon. So an extreme we can understand. Either the Rishon is completely equivalent, right, which is one position. I mean, nobody would say you're not Yotzei in the Shani, but either the Rishon is completely equivalent or the Rishon doesn't count for anything. And everything has to be done again in the Shani. The hardest position is the middle one that says, oh, everything you, you could be Yotzei in the Rishon except Mikra Megillah. So we'll have to worry about the middle position. But now the first thing the Gemara turns its attention to is who's our mission? going like because our mission says that you ha- what do you have to do again in the Shani Mikra Megillah and Matanos Levionim so that doesn't match up with anyone because our mission adds Matanos Levionim so the Gemara says money who's our mission going like e Tanakama if it's the Tanakama that says the one thing you have to do again is Mikra Megillah Kasha Matanot our mission says you've got to do two things again Mikra Megillah and Matanos Levionim he says everything could be in the Rishon. 
Even Tzimlam Liel, if it's a Tzimlam Liel, Kasha Seda Parashiyos. The Tzimlam Liel says everything has to be in the Shani. So, obviously our Mishnah isn't one of the extremes. Our Mishnah seems to be Tanakama. But what do you do about the absence of, men- of about the fact that our Mishnah also mentions Matanas Tzimlam So that's an easy question. Mar says, Olam Tanakama. It's the Tanakama that says the one thing you have to repeat is Mikra Megillah. The time of Mikra Megillah, as we've learned before, Mikra Megillah and Matana Savionim are a package deal. The Habatalia, they're interrelated, as we've seen before. You read Matana Savionim, you have to give Matana Savionim. That's an easy answer. The Ebai same, if you want, I could say, that our Mishnah that says you repeat Mikra Megillah is so what about the fact that our mission sounds like the only thing you do again is Mikra Megillah? The Psingam Leo would say you have to do the Parshios again. No, here's what the mission reads. That the only difference of the 14th is that you have to do the Mikra Megillah again. But like Hesped and Tanis, that would be the same in both of them. But Halin and Hesped and Tanis, that's the point of the Megillah, to focus on the 14th and the 14th. That there, the, the Megillah has to be done again, but Hesped and Tanis does not have to, it, it, you know, is the same, is equally done on both. The Elu say to Prashir Slomani, we're not talking about what you do the rest of the month of Adar. Although it says, in Bain Adar, we're not only talking about the month of Adar. We're talking about the 14th of Adar. So when our mission says you repeat Mikra Megillah, it's like when Kim that says that you actually have to do everything again. So the only thing that you're sort of, you know, that is a difference, as, I mean, is something that's the same in both, is that you observe the Isser Hesped and Tanis. Now again, what's fascinating is, but if you're talking about the 14th, and it's going according to Rav Shimon Gamliel that says the first month doesn't count for anything, so you don't only have to do Mikra Megillah again, and, and Matanah Savion, and what else do you have to do again? What? No, but we're ignoring Parshish, that's the rest of the month. But on the 14th, what do you have to do again? Suda, right, and Shushroch Monos. So the Rishonim tried to explain, well, maybe that's when it says, Asr Behesudu Tanis, the Isr Tanis, the flip side of that is the Chi of Su'uda. So then it would mean, and with the Su'uda comes Mishroch Mano. So according to that, it would mean you do the Su'uda in both states. But it doesn't sound like that. So again, it's not clear how the Gemara is dealing with it, but what is more interesting is the silence of the matter. That the Mishnayot are not dealing with the Su'uda and the Mishroch Manos. That really gets much more of a focus in the Amorayim. So even in this Gemara's analysis, it's willing to say that a Mishnah that says that the only thing you do again is Mikra Megillah and Matanah Savyonim, right, is consistent with an opinion that you have to do everything again, right, and without addressing, well, what about the, uh, what about the Su'u? Do we have explicit Mishnah that actually deal with Adela Parsha? Because here this is an inference based on a Vaita. Um, yeah, I mean, it's clearly detailed in Masechet Sofrim, um, and I have to check the later Masechet in, in Megillah. Um, it, it, my, it, yeah, I don't remember offhand. I, I have to, I have to check the later one. Okay, but but it clearly was accepted as a kind of eighth point. Yes. Basic question: When do we decide? When did the rabbis decide that it was going to be a leap year? So the Gemara says that that could be decided up to the last day of Adar. Of Adar. Of So really, what they would be doing is they would be nullifying the prior observance. Exactly. Exactly. And then that's the question. How much does that right, get, get nullified? Or how much do you at least get credit? Meaning, like the Rush says, the, all the discussions here, like even Rebbe Lezer Yossi that says you got credit for everything you did, that's only because you did it while it was still the only other. Mm-hmm. If they had already made a second other, then you get no credit for having done it. <laughs> right. So what about the concept, um, Right. That, that actually it's, it's the uh, Catholic Israel that establishes what the dates of observance are. Right. And they have observed, they have observed Purim already in this, in this 12-month period. Um, <laughs> yeah, hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say because it's also seen as, the Asher Tikkun is seen by Chazal as not relating to that observance creates the, you know, creates the day, but that the, the body that is authorized yeah, to represent right. the Jewish people, which is the basin, gets to establish what the calendars and what the months are. So, oh, so they're making a retroactive decision saying that really wasn't the other. That, exactly. Or they're saying, here's a new Adar, and then by, therefore by default, yeah, exactly. All right, but now the command is going to look at this. Like, how do we know that the, the emphasis on other Shanies? Let's take a look. Um, the Gemara says like this. Um, okay. Amar Rabbi Chibar Rabin, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Hilchazak Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. We rule like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Shamu Shimon Rabbi Yosi, that nothing you did in Adar Rishon counts. 
Okay, except maybe there's an isper hesped v'tanis, but otherwise nothing counts in other reach. Now, those, the two of them, meaning the two extreme positions, your Yotze everything in Adar Rishon, at least the Eved, or your Yotze nothing in Adar Rishon, are learning it from the same Pasuk. I love it. So, yeah, so yeah, what's yeah. the Pasuk? Every, every single year is consistently. So what does consistently mean? So you got to be consistent. It's the order that follows Shva, which is the order that is significant. That counts. Um, now you got to be consistent. The order that counts is the one year Nisan. Now it's pretty funny because it sounds like Reb Rebelez Reb Yosi does not say it's only the first one. He sounds like it's, it's even the first one, but okay. Because one says like this: Bishlim Rebelez Reb Yosi Nistaver Taima the Ema Vional Mitzvos. Reb Yosi's position seems to make sense because you don't pass over a mitzvah. Now, it's not exactly like you have a mitzvah here and you're ignoring it, but it means if this is an adar and this presents the opportunity to do it, this is the one that we should assign as the adar for doing these mitzvahs. At least for doing the mitzvahs. What's Leo's reasoning? So, um... So It's better to juxtapose the redemption of Purim to the redemption of Pesach, to have those two Chadim of redemption juxtaposed one in, to one another. Okay, so all of those are interesting. By the way, all of those are just Purim answers. They're not other answers of dates. Like if somebody is born in Adar, when do they become, you know, Barabat Mitzvah, an Adarishan or an Adarshani? And all these are just questions like, what is the better date to observe Purim on? It's not the larger question of which other counts as the right other. It's not like okay. Because this, both answers of Ein Mavin Ola Mitzvahs and Mitzvah Gula Lugula explain, pur, explain why to have Purim in other regions and have Purim in other shanies. They don't tell me that if I was born on the 7th of Adar, when is my, when is, my, when, 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 when is my birthday, on the 1st Adar or the 2nd Adar? Well, I understand, but you don't have to read it that way, right? Can't you read the discussion about Purim as being emblematic of which is the right Adar? I don't know about emblematic, because the reasons are unrelated the right. to the bigger question, but you could say once we choose the exactly. Adar for the Purim, right. then we're yeah. right. That, it's, yeah. Yes, definitely that should be. Okay. But my point is that the basic issue here is a Purim question, not an Adar question. You know what? It's a very interesting machloket, just to say one word. In other words, it's a machloket. It's like, how do you determine? You stay close to the reading of the text of the Megillah, or do you have a theological, slightly larger, mm. you know, philosophical perspective about rule? It's really That's a nice point. Okay. So the message is like this. Um, okay. The reason we have to go by the second order is from here. To do this second letter of Purim. And the read second means is that you're going to do it in a second month. So it's a very interesting read. Okay. So Yitzchik Lemichtav Hashenit. It has to say Hashenit, which means do it in a second month. Yitzchik Lemichtav B'chol Shana V'Shana. It has to say that you do it consistently. The B'chol Shana V'Shana. If it just had been consistent, have you mean a Kikushin? I would have said like our question. Do it the one after Shvat. Um, what's consistent mean? Kamash Malan Hashenit. No, it tells you pick the second of the others. Yes, meaning Hashenit have a minute betchila berishon ubesheni. I would have said Hashenit means do it in the first and in the second. So, Kamash Malan, B'chol Shana V'Shana, be consistent, only do it in one month. Which month? The second month. Rebbe Lezeb, Rebbe Yossi, hi, Hashinit, my Avidlei. What does Rebbe Lezeb, Rebbe Yossi, do with Hashinit if he says that you observe it in the first Adar? So, Mibayilei Lechera Shmua Bar Yehuda, like Rebbe Shmua Bar Yehuda. Dama Rebbe Shmua Bar Yehuda, B'chila Kavua B'Shushan, Ubasok B'chol Olam Kula, which is like a Peshat in the Megillah. First, the, the Jews observed it in Shushan, right? The initial celebration was in Shushan. And then it says they sent out a letter to observe, you know, the second letter that all Jews everywhere should be observing the Purim. Okay. Um, now, so that's the end of that discussion of Adar. Now we get to a famous Agarita, which really gets to the heart of this issue. And in some ways, it a little bit picks up this earlier issue of Kol Alam Kulo, things we've been talking about about the authority of Megillat Esther, the innovating of a new Chag, the adopting, the, the inclusion of Megillat Esther, and, you know, at, you know, into the, into Sifrei Tanakh, giving it the weight of, of, of authority of like Nivuai, even though God's name isn't mentioned in it and all, 
Right? These are some of the, like, the central issues, right? So let's take a look at the following Agarita with those sort of bigger religious questions in mind. So the Gemara says like this. Um, Esther sent to the sages, establish me, establish Purim as a holiday for future generations, echoing the earlier thing, like it took a, pe- a period of time to establish it as a holiday. So she said, establish me as a holiday. Right? If you look at, the, by the way, in a parallel at the book of Maccabees, mm-hmm. right, you know, the whole point is that they're sending out letters, like Mordechai and Esther sent out letters, to the exile, to all the Jews, everyone, saying, you guys have to keep this holiday of Hanukkah. Maybe you're even only tangentially aware of it. It's a place here in Israel. But no, here's what happened, and you've got to observe it. So Esther is saying, we've got to establish a holiday. They waited so, there too. They waited there a year. And they waited, right. That's true also. Good point. Yeah. To establish it, right. Right, right. And that's also, you know, we even say, um, Lashana Acheres is actually, you know, even when the Gemara speaks about how they establish it, right? Because the following year they established it as, exactly. Uh, I read a comment, I think, in Kikos, they wanted to wait to see if it had the same uh, power. Well, not that word, but you know, right. the, the significance uh, remained, not just as an event, but as something that continued. Right, on. So, but, that, and, but that is true about the uh, Hanukkah story, that's that it was, was right, that it wasn't just a momentary victory, but it actually led to a whole shift of the political reality, and had this thing about Purim, as we've mentioned, did not really have that larger implica- implication. So Esther says to the sages, again, by the way, also knowing the mediating of the Megillah through the authority of the sages, which we had from the very first, you know, from the very first stuff in, in the in the Mesechet, right? Anshay Knesset Agdola established it based on Psukim in the Megillah. So Esther here is sending to the stages um, the following. Kavuni Zadorah established me as a holiday for future generations. Shochula, they said to her, Kina Mo'erat Aleinu, you're going to stir up, Levenu Mok, you're going to stir up jealousy amongst the other nations. You know, we're going to have a holiday celebrating the downfall of our, of our, of, of our non-Jewish what enemies. What about Pesach? <laughs> so, okay, but that was from God, but meaning there was resistance. There was resistance to establish a new holiday, especially, notice, but the poignancy is, establish a new, hel- a, a new holiday within the reality of still being in exile. Right? That's part of the point. So you could say it's a, it's, it means that we're not in, as empowered because we're in exile here, also because, you know, it's problematic. But think about what that means. Establishing a holiday which is about victory or whatever, and it's problematic because we're not really in any different situation. Right? And therefore, how do we celebrate our victory when this reality is still the current reality? So again, really bringing up this issue about what this means to have this holiday while the political reality, historical reality has not changed. So... She sent back to them, You know, it's already a matter of historical record, so you don't have to worry about that. Of course, there's a little bit difference about something being written a in the historical footnote and being a celebration. Exactly, and something that the Jews are going to celebrate. So, again, though, interesting the way it's raising those tensions about creating a new holiday and what it means to do it, particularly in the context of, within the ex- exilic context. Rav Rav Chanina, Rav Yochan, Rav Chaviva, Masni B'kulis Seder Moed. So now we're going to have a statement about these four rabbis, Rav and Rav Hun and Rav Yochan and Rav Chaviva. Now when these are ta- these rabbis sort of appear in all of Moed, Koki Aigzuga, all of these pairs, Chalufei Rabbi Yochanan Umayli Rabbi Yonasan. So you really have to take out Rabbi Yochanan, it really shouldn't be Rabbi Yochanan, it should be really, really Rabbi Yonasan. You wonder why they didn't just say Rabbi Yonasan to begin with, but presumably because there was some question about exactly who this group was. Anyway, so anyway, here's their cheap shit. So now Esther is going to sort of make another campaign with the rabbis. Again, the rabbis are the authorities. Kadvuni um, Ladoros, not Kavuni, but Kitvuni. Write me for future generations. We need me to be in the books of Tanakh. I want to be canonized. My book should be canonized. Again, one of the innovations of Purim. They sent back to her. Hello, Katafti Lechashileshim. I've written you, I, I've written for you out three times. Meaning the story of Amalek has already appeared three times in the Torah. In, in Shemot, in Dvarim, and in, um, Sefer Shmuel. So, you only get three, the, the, this whole story only gets to be written three times. Shilashim below reading three times, not four times. So, uh, so, no, it's, it's nice like superfluous. Now, by the way, what's fascinating about this rejection is that it's a rejection that also lays the foundation of explaining why it gets accepted. Because what it basically is doing is saying, what's it saying? It's saying Esther is, the story of Esther is nothing new. 
The story of Esther is part of the whole story about the fight against Amalek, which began in Shmos, continued in Dvarim, appeared in Shmuel. This is just the end of that thing. So in the same way that it's framing it as that's why they were resisting, because it's already appeared too many times, they're also telling you this is completely part of the biblical story. Okay, and that's going to be until they found a verse written in the Torah. Write this remembrance in the book. So write this. This that this is uh, in in the Torah. What's in Shemot and in and in Dvarim. Zikaron, um, a remembrance. So you're gonna it's gonna come up another time. What's written in Shmuel? And the Sefer is now what is written in the Megillah. So notice what they've done. They've not just justified, oh, we can do it four times because there's a Pasuk. They've put the writing of the Megillah back into a Pasuk in Shemos. And it's already called like a Sefer, right? Sefer makes us think like Sefer Torah. So they've, bought, they've now put the Megillah into the story of Shemot, into a Pasuk. Already there was indicating it was going to be written in the Megillah. And the Megillah was going to be a Sefer. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Where are we? Okay. This is like a debate of Tanayim. So this counting has, has one of those words, Ksovzot for Shmos, another word, Zikaron for Mishnah Torah, and Basefer is what's written in Shmuel. So it doesn't have an extra word for the Megillah. Tiber Rebbe Yoshua. So what do you think? They shouldn't be part of the... Well, we'll talk about that. Rebbe Eliezer, Modoyo, Menok. So Zot, Mashikasub Kanem Torah. Zot is the whole Torah. Shmos and Dvarim. Zikaron, Mashikasub Binevi'im. Basefer, Mashikasub Migilah. So he goes, like we've been saying before, the second opinion, that you have the Migilah. It was already, in a sense, authorized to be written back in that initial story about Amalek. Okay, so the Mosh says, now we have to deal with the one that says it's not included in that Pasuk. So let's take a look. Esther says, Shmuel, Esther does not cause impurity of hands. Basically, the way that you identify what did Chazal canonize as part of Tanakh was the halachic question of does touching it cause the hands to be impure. The reason the Gemara says is that they established that touching one of the books of Tanakh causes impurity of the hands because people would store their Tanakh together with their truma. They said they're both holy, we'll store it together. The rats got to the truma and the rats started eating away at the books of Tanakh. Now, there could be another more simpler reason also, which is just that you know, if you want to express something's, you know, sort of metaphysical status, right, so there needs to be some type of, you know, uh, uh, like, like, you know, coming in contact with it has to have some effect. So, it can't really, you know, there's no halachic category to say when you touch it, your hands get holy, but you can say when you touch So, it's, it's possible that it's just, even though it's a little, obviously, ironic that it becomes tamay, nevertheless, it, may, it gives it that power, it gives it that weight. Anyway, that's the measure of, is it one of the books of Tanakh? So when Shmuel, Rav Yudah says in the name of Shmuel that it's not Metami Yaseyadayim, what he means is Esther is not part of Tanakh. So as opposed to Katvuni Lodorot, there's an answer that no, you don't get to be part of Tanakh. So, remember the Sabbath Shmuel, Esther la Baruch HaKodesh Hemra? That suggests that Esther isn't written with divine inspiration, because presumably if it's written with divine inspiration, it should be canonized. Sabbath Shmuel, Esther Baruch HaKodesh Hemra. But he says it was written with divine inspiration. It was given with divine inspiration to be read, but not to be written. Now, what does this mean? How do you read the Megillah without it being written? So Rashi suggests it means, well, you say it over orally, which would mean that Shmuel would say that you could be Yotze the Megillah, at least, you know, without reading it inside of a written Megillah? That's clearly not true. So they say, well, maybe Midorabana, but maybe based on the Psukim, you, you, you know, you really don't even need to read it from, 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 from a Megillah. The better answer for this is, and this is what the Ritva says, and pay attention, what the Ritva says is, there's a conceptual difference between being one of the books of Tanakh and being a mitzvah object. We have mitzvah objects. You know what a mitzvah object is? It's a lulav. A lulav. Is the lulav one of the books of Tanakh? No. But can you be yotze the mitzvah of lulav without shaking the lulav? You need the lulav to shake to be yotze the lulav. So says the ritual, that's what the Gemara means. Of course you've got to write down the book of Esther. Because you've got to read from it. That's the mitzvah. You've got to make it into a lulav. But just because you write it down on a scroll and you need it as an object to read from, doesn't mean that it's one of the canonized books of Tanakh. Okay? So yes, 
It's part of the mitzvah of Megillah, and it was written Beruah HaKodesh. There was divine inspiration, but I gotta tell you, buddy, just because something was divinely inspired doesn't mean you get to be canonized. So here we have it that it is not canonical, it's not part of Tanakh, but it's a book that is used and has to be written and was written with divine inspiration that's used to do the mitzvah. But then if you have all that, why would it be part of that's a little bit ironic because if it's not canonized, think about all the previous stoppings that appeared and about how we treated the psukim and we treated the psukim like canonical psukim, like psukim that carry with them weight of authority and, you know, we should interpret and do gzera shava. So obviously this is a very das yachid. But here's a fascinating opinion that you write it and you read it and that's the mitzvah and it was even done in divine inspiration but it is but not one of the But why wouldn't it be? I mean, if you already have that, that it's a divine inspiration, like, what? Yeah, so it's a good question. Is it not because it's not as explicit the religious message? You know, is it because, you know, God's name doesn't appear? Is it because there are different levels of divine inspiration? But not everything gets to be one of the books of Tanakh. So the okay. Is not it's not as there's something problematic. Maybe there's something not good enough for it to be one of no, the books. No, I'm just trying to figure out what that would be. So the Torah, we also say it's not the time you died. Um, yeah, but, but, but I don't want to get to that. There, there was no question that say what was canonized right. there. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Here it clearly means it wasn't canonized. Okay, so Meisrei says, well, I'll ask you on this, let the mayor Omer, Kohela saying in Metamachi time. So here you get interesting debates of what was canonized. Let the mayor says, Kohela isn't canonized, because that's just, you know, like a philosophical book. It's not really a, a divinely inspired book. It's not a tenth book of Sanach. There's a debate about Shirashirim. You know, Shirashirim, is it love poetry or is it a religious metaphor? No, 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 no. There is no debate. Shirashirim is one of the canonical books. Machlokas for Kohelet. The debate is whether Kohelet is one of the canonical books or not. Kohelet was a debate of Shammai and Hillel. Presumably, Shammai said Kule means it's not Metame, and Beit Hillel said it was, which means, according to Beit Hillel, it is one of the books of Tanakh, which is fascinating, because Kohelet has a very sort of, you know, more of a big Shammai look at the world, I would say. <laughs> anyway, of all roots, with Shirashirim to Esther, but when it comes to these, roots and Shirashirim and Esther, so it's interesting now that roots is being put there, you know, okay, so all of these are Megilot, right? So that may be a something about them, but, you know, Ruth is one that seems to be just totally like Nevi'im Rishonim. Anyway, these, Mitami Mephiyadayim, these are. The question is why he had to say it by Ruth, but anyway. So you have all of these various debates. Anyway, what the Gemara says here is, notice that nobody here, right, says that Esther is not Mitami Mephiyadayim. So how could Shemuel say Esther is not? The two mentions of Esther here said that Esther was Mitami Mephiyadayim. Now, there's whole interesting questions about our gears and that Mishnah in Yadayim and so on, and uh, there's more to be said about the Tanaitic evidence about whether Esther is or is not. I will also mention, by the way, that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found, you know, they found uh, remnants of every single one of the books of Tanakh, except for... Megillus Esther. So the a question about when, at what stage was Esther really seen as part of the canon and part of Tanakh is a very interesting historical question. So the Gemara says, so what do you do with the fact that here, at least this that we're quoting, um, says that Esther is Mutamik Yadayim? So the Gemara says, who Damak Rebbe Yoshua? He says like Rebbe Yoshua. Uh, that Rabbi Yoshua that we quoted before, so Zotzi Karon, Basefer, and he didn't have an extra word for Esther. It was Shmos, Dvarim, and whatever, and not Esther, Shmos, Dvarim, and Shmuel, and not Esther. So Shmuel is claiming that yes, there's a Tanaitic opinion that I go by and I paskin, Esther is not one of the books of Tanakh. Tanya. It's not a divine book. It's just a Shlomo's philosophy. No, no, no. There was a reason that Kohelis was distinct. 3,000 Mishalim. And if we wrote, so clearly he wrote a lot more. So why was, was Kohelis given special status? It must be that distinct from everything else he wrote, Kohelis was written by Ruach HaKodesh. The Omer, I'll toast if I'll throw up. And he says, don't add to it, which means like what I said in Kohelis, that you can't add to that. I don't know how we know that's talking about Kohelis. But the fact that he gave it special status, it was different than everything else he wrote, and he's mocked what you ask, that you don't add to it, shows that it, has a spe- that it was written not just in his own philosophy, but with Ruach HaKodesh. My the Omer, he wrote a lot of things. You want, you can write it. You want, you don't write it. Meaning, just because he wrote down Kohelas doesn't mean it's divinely inspired. He taught a lot of things. He chose 
to write this down doesn't necessarily mean that it's divinely inspired. Tashma al Tosif al Zarab. The fact that he's very careful and says you can't add to it shows that he is treating it as like holy script. Okay. So that's the issue about Kohelis. Tanya, we're, we'll just feed a little bit more to the, to the bottom. Tanya, this will go very fast. Now we're going to show not whether it has the weight of a biblical book, because, but the question of was it written with divine inspiration. As we've seen, written with divine inspiration is a necessary precondition a necessary for it to be considered a book of Tanakh. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. But the first thing we have to say is, it was, was it written with divine inspiration? What's another example? So, of something that's not written with divine no, inspiration? No, that's written with a Ruach HaKodesh, but not included in the Tanakh. Um, I don't know, but that was... Uh, Sira could be. Yeah, Sira. no. And, but that was what the Gemara said, that Esther might have been written by Ruach HaKodesh, but, but not written, no, but no. not wrote. But okay. now let's establish, because like Shlomo, we said, maybe it was just philosophy. Right. So let's establish how we know that Esther was written by Ruach HaKodesh. Okay? So let's take a look. Uh, Haman said to himself, how could anybody know? Obviously, whoever wrote the Megillah had, you know, was the, what, what do we call it? The universal narrator? Not the universal. The, what, what, there's the limited narrator and the, you don't know, in literature? Anyway, this is the narrator that knows what everybody is thinking, okay? So how could you be in that position unless it was Ruach HaKodesh? Everybody who saw her, she found favor. How do you know? Obviously, you know, who, how did the narrator know that? The matter became known to Mordechai. How do you know that it became known to Mordechai? Rabbi Yosef Bar Dumaskit Omer, they didn't uh, take any of the booty. How do you know they didn't take any of the booty? Throughout all of the Medina Vachashverosh, so the fact that you are the, I think it's the omnipresent or whatever, um, the, uh, oh, you know, narrator yeah. means that it's, 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 whatever it is, yeah. no, I think it's, I, mean, I don't know, we're missing the word. Anyway, means that it was Ruach HaKodesh. Amar Shmuel, Yihave Hasam, if I were there, Yihave Amina, Milta Dadidi Mikulu, I would get a better answer than all that. Shanamar, Kimu Vikiblu, the Jews accepted upon themselves, established and accepted. What does that mean? It means, they accepted up in heaven what they established below. Below they established to do Purim, and it was given the okay up in heaven. Now, how do you, could you know that it was given the okay up in heaven unless you're saying that it was Beruach HaKodesh? Of course, the funny thing is, that's only because of the way he chooses to read the verse. By, by choosing to read the verse to say that they got the good divine okay up in heaven shows that the author was writing it Beruach HaKodesh. Okay, it also gives the authority to the Megillah, if you're saying that God gave it the okay, which is the under, other part of this whole question, the authority of the Megillah and the authority of Purim. Okay, Amar Rava says, Rava, all the other proofs can be challenged except for Shmuel. The Leisley Pircha cannot, cannot be challenged, doesn't have a question. Rebbe Eliezer, Rebbe Eliezer says what Haman says in his heart, that, you know, it's logical that that's what Haman was saying to his heart. Because there was nobody else important to the king like him. The Haiki come off his tuva. And when, and then he was going, being very extravagant. So all you have to do is listen to what he said. And you can figure out that he's assuming that it applies to himself. And therefore he's saying it, assuming it's applying to himself. It's just logical. Rebbe Akiva, Rebbe Akiva's proof, where it says, no um, Esther appeared to everybody like their nation, like, like she's one of their ethnic group. So still, how do you know? So Raji says, well, everybody is saying, oh, you see that Esther? Because remember, Esther didn't say where she's from. So the Greeks were claiming she was Greek, and the Persians were claiming she was Persians. So since everybody was claiming she was one of theirs, it shows that she found favor in everybody's eyes. Bahad Rabbi Meir, how about Rabbi Meir, that the matter was known to Mordechai, that Bigson and Sheris were from Tarsis, I don't know what that has to do with knowing that Mordechai found out about what was said, I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, Bahad Rabbi Yossi ben Dormeskis, and how about Rabbi Yossi ben Dormeskis, that they said they didn't take any of the booty, maybe they sent messengers from all the provinces to tell Mordechai and Esther, you should know we didn't take the booty, so we're not going to get in trouble, you should tell the king that, etc. But to Shmuel, Shmuel has no question, except for the fact that it was all Shmuel's own interpretation of the verse. It wasn't Pshad of the verse. But if you re 
read the verse that God approved of it, then clearly it was written Baruch Kodesh. And as I've said, clearly what it also does is it gives you the weight of the authority of the Megillah, because now God has approved of the Chag. Amar Ravina says, Ravina, that's what people say, one good sharp peppercorn is better with a basketful of bland gourds. So one good answer is better than a dozen bland, bad answers or mediocre answers. Kari of Yosef, um, Kari, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, of Gord. Rav Yosef, one last verse. Right? This celebration will never cease. How do you know it will never cease? Right? It must be. You're writing it with a prophetic spirit. Okay, so different ideas about Ruach, Ruach HaKodesh, but as we've seen, that is not sufficient to say it's one of the books of Tanakh, and the fascinating possibility that it could be, you need to have a written scroll of Esther to be Yotzei the Mitzvah, without it being considered one of the books of Tanakh. Okay.